This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Milton Fixture and Fawcett International and the city of Milton, Michigan. Don't mess with Milton. Where we were born, where we belong. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. It's Homicidal Delusions Week on Pod Cemetery with 1988's Vampire's Kiss and The Voices from 2014. And a little correction from our last episode. Peter recommended only that we watch The Voices, not Vampire's and Kiss. And once again, Kelsey decided to pair it off with another movie that ended up being a really interesting correlation. So thank you both to Peter and to Kelsey. You're welcome. Before we get into the movies, though, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. What is the name of the pub that protagonist David Kessler visits at the start of 1981's An American Werewolf in London? Fuck. Not a real pub. Right. Shit. It's not like, it's not like the Wolf's Head or the Flayed Man or something like that. What is it? The Slaughtered Lamb. The Slaughtered Lamb. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Well, fine. Then I'm going to ask you a question that you're not going to get. <laughs> okay. Back to our first episode. Well, Mary can... Oh, no, that's only our second episode. Yes, yeah, so this one goes back the maximum length. In 28 Days Later, 2002, what is the longest possible length of time it can take a person to succumb to infection? I'll give it to you if you're close. I don't think you're even going to be close. Oh, because they do say that, like, sometimes it's within seconds and sometimes it takes minutes. It's the best the guess I've got. The maximum possible time. Maximum possible time. So I would guess five minutes? 20 seconds. 20 seconds, okay. 20 seconds. So sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it takes 20 seconds. But you know, it's that's about the length of time that the dad was like, get away from me. And then turned right away. Yeah. And he had a lot of willpower to prevent himself from turning. He didn't want to hurt his daughter. All right, Kelsey. Moving on to our first movie. It's 1988's Vampire's Kiss, directed by Robert Bierman and written by Joseph Minion, starring Nicolas Cage, Maria Conchita Alonzo, and Jennifer Beals. What is Vampire's Kiss about? A rich guy from New York City. A yuppie. Yeah. Meets a lady, has a one-night stand with her, and... Becomes convinced that she was a vampiress and he has become a vampire. Vampress? Yes. That's interesting. I don't think we've ever used that term on the show before. <laughs> Maria Conchita Alonso is in this. And if you're wondering where you know her from, she was in Running Man and Predator 2. This is the Nicolas Cage movie with the most memes, which is saying quite a lot. Because he is very meme-worthy, and there's so much stuff in this movie that should probably be a meme, but isn't. <laughs> but there are tons of memes where if you haven't seen this movie before, you haven't heard of it, this is where all those really good memes come from. But seriously, 
and I'm dead serious here. I did not remember this from from when I first saw the movie. Seriously, content warning on sexual assault here. Yeah. And like terrorizing women. Like it is it's a lot more intense than a movie like this should be. <laughs> At one point in the audio commentary, which is literally just the director and Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage says, we made a twisted movie, Robert. <laughs> and it's very, very weird. They talk about how this movie was very much kind of ahead of its time and what it was doing. I should also point out that Kelsey hates this movie. Mm-hmm. I uh, did it to myself. She did it to herself. I love this movie with the caveat of there's some content in here that's really hard to reconcile, but it is free on stars on voodoo. It's $4 to rent and $14 to buy. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? I would say no. I would say yes. You might have to harden your heart a little bit to it, but it is ridiculous and funny and out there and, and supposedly Nicolas Cage's favorite movie yeah he said that in a GQ article not that long ago but also in another interview he did on YouTube he listed it as number five in his top five favorite films so I'm not who knows it could change from day to day but who knows it is it is very bizarre I liken this to what if there was slightly more obvious comedy in American Psycho, but... American Psycho is so much better. I agree. It's a better film. But this is like, what if American Psycho was about vampires and it was funnier? Oh, I think American Psycho is hilarious. Yeah, but American Psycho has much more, like, sexual assault and violence against women. and Which like, is an interesting conversation that I would love to have. I don't know why I hate this movie as much as I, as I do. Meanwhile, I love movies like American Psycho. I think it's because in American Psycho, he has no... He's not confused about his behavior. He doesn't... He never once thinks... Well, he is. <laughs> no, he never once thinks that what he's doing is right. Right. I don't think... I think the entire time it's okay because he's very much aware, no, what I'm doing is shitty. I just don't care. Right. Whereas in this, Nicolas in this, Cage is Nicolas going Cage, crazy in this Nicolas movie. Nicolas Cage acts the way he acts... Because he feels like this is how he should be acting. Yes. And that's taking over his better judgment. It's a fascinating film, though. <laughs> Especially when you analyze it on that level. And there is stuff to analyze in this. This is, this movie is saying something. And we will get there. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1988's Vampire's Kiss. It's just too much for Peter Lowe. Yep, 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 yep. Work is too much like work. There you are! Girls. Want to join me? They're never there when you need them. <laughs> and love. I can't take it anymore! Is like a vampire's kiss. Starring Nicolas Cage. I'll never do that again. Rated R. Starts Friday in select cities. All right, Kels, it's your job. Get us started. How does Vampire's Kiss begin? He's talking to his therapist about his nightly activities. So basically, he has a lot of one-night stands. Yes. He loves to go out to bars or clubs, meet a girl, have sex. That's He loves to do that. He's explaining how he's like, I don't really want to deal with her leaving, 
But I also don't want to deal with her being there. I just wanted her to disappear. Yeah. And that's kind of who he is. He he has no care for anyone else in this world except for himself. And this is step just step number one. It is setting up the paradox that is being Nicolas Cage in this movie, which is to say he is extremely lonely and his loneliness drives him insane. But his loneliness is also his own fault. That's the oxymoron, I guess that you can say, that is Nicolas Cage's character in this movie. Like, for instance, he meets Casey Lemons, who is the best friend character from Silence of the Lambs and Candyman. And they really hit it off. And he fucks that up, like, real bad. Twice. Twice, yes. And he could have had what he was looking for. But he has really, really intense problems with control. He needs to be in control at all times, but I think part of why he succumbs to this delusion that he ends up having in the movie is because he can give up that control without weakening himself, because this is something greater than himself. It's somebody who has supernatural powers, and that's why they have control over him, so it's okay for him to give up control to this vampirus, which we'll meet in a bit, while still trying to exert control in every other facet of his life. And that's kind of a problem with, I mean, to get into gender studies with the masculinity, that's part of toxic masculinity. But so as Chris says, he he does meet the chick from Science of the Lambs, the friend. They're Uh, trying to think of all the Fantastic Four and they call them names like Rubber Man for Mr. Fantastic and Brownstone Man (laughs) for the thing. We said it already. No, 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 the Rubber Man. He's the last of the fantastic photo we've been searching for all evening. The missing link. Oh, yes. we already sent him. The fireball. Oh, oh, the one that's made of good brown stones. <laughs> brown stone man. No, that's not Lighter browns. Anyway, I just thought that was cute. I didn't listen to that conversation, <laughs> apparently. When they're hooking up, a bat flies in his room. Mm-hmm. And this it, is real. He's not hallucinating. She sees the, it, too. That's the problem. You really don't know how much of any of this is actually happening. Right. You and never know. The movie fluctuates between his point of view and like an objective point of view. And there's the same sort of thing like you have with the voices. It fluctuates between the two. And this is one where it's like the movie doesn't do much to reinforce the fact that, oh, yeah, no, he's really turning into a vampire. It just watches him think he's turning into a vampire but every once in a while it does show things where it's like oh we see the vampire lady show up in his house how did she get in like the stuff like that or is she really here and we can't trust the camera yeah and i honestly wonder if his therapist is even real right because that comes up later i think she is i think when she's not real you know it Right, but I mean, when they show us that at the end, at the end he'll have a conversation with her and it will show us that he's not really having a conversation with her. I wonder if... That's all the time? That was the entire movie. Right, but we see him talking to her when he is objectively a mess. Mm -hmm. You know, there is that moment where they fluctuate between he thinks he's talking to her and we see him objectively, and then we see what he subjectively sees. We see him talking to her, actually talking to her when... 
he's objectively a mess. So I think she is real, but this last sort of interaction absolutely isn't. Can we talk about his accent a little bit here? <laughs> so this fluctuates intentionally throughout the movie. He's basically doing like an Americanized version of Keanu Reeves accent from Bram Stoker's Dracula. <gasps> I know where the bastard sleeps. <laughs> I know where the bastard sleeps. It will take hours, but it will be there somewhere. Now, Nick Cage has basically that voice, but in an American accent version of it. And he does it in places where he wants to seem refined and interesting. And it falls away when his control starts to dwindle. In some ways, it was my father, um, you know, because he was a professor of comparative literature. And he made a decision at some point to speak with distinction. And to me, it always sounded absurd, although now I understand it used to be like this very continental sound, which I thought a literary agent would adopt to try to be impressive to people. And I remember the first day's rushes, the producers ran up to me and they said, Bobby looks great, but but what's Nick doing? Why is he talking like that? What's wrong with him? I said, no, no, this is cool. Actually, I didn't even notice that there was an accent, to be honest with you. For this movie, it kind of works because it's him trying to make himself sound yeah. more socially acceptable. And Nick Cage loves doing this kind of shit. He but that's what I was going to say. He loves doing this kind of shit. Is that there? then there's other times where he makes these weird uh, voice choices and it's just like, that didn't work at all. Right. I think he was completely in the wrong with his choice of affectation in Peggy Sue Got Married. Okay. I want to suck your blood. <laughs> I also want to suck your Twinkie. He did that to make himself sound younger. Your love machine, your throbbing thrill hammer, your thing. You mean my wang? <laughs> well, see, here's the thing, and Nick Cage will, will tell you this. He said it in interviews. He has kind of had enough very early on in his career with there being an objective truth to, like, reality. And you should try to recreate reality when you act. He doesn't think that. He's interested in, quote unquote, and eye rolly pushing the boundaries of what you can do as an actor. But, like, legitimately, he's like, who says I need to look realistic? Who says that that's a mark of a good actor if I can mimic realism? Most what if people. I, yeah, no, but he's like, what do I care what most people think? I want to do fun acting shit. I want to go out there and see what people will and won't accept and see how they react to it differently. And this is one of those things where he, this was a perfect opportunity for him to really stretch in that way. Let's not get stuck in the style of naturalism for film acting like we're all doing. Let's explore the boundaries of where you can go with acting. It must be so nice to be an actor. Right? <laughs> Especially an actor like Nick Cage who can, <laughs> at least at that point, do whatever he wants. I gotta say, he's not a bad actor. I just think he's weird and he just does whatever he wants. Anyway... I didn't mention, when I mentioned Bram Stoker's Dracula, that movie was directed by Fan Francis Ford Coppola, who is Nick Cage's uncle. He's a Coppola. He's Nicholas Coppola, and he took the name Nicholas Cage because he liked Luke Cage as in uh, the show Luke Cage that was on, the Marvel character. He's a big comic book nerd, and so he, he chose the acting name of Cage. What I was going to say is that 
he even at one point when they're when after the bat flies after them, they leave, I guess, to go to her apartment instead. They're laughing and running to the cab, and it kind of sounds like he's m- not mocking laughter, but doing a laugh that like it's not his real laugh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it makes you wonder if he ever really has any real feelings or thoughts or emotions. Absolutely. Because he's so obsessed with seeming like he does, even when he is totally trashed, he still has that affectation. Yeah. But we know it's an affectation because it does go when he lets his guard down and come back when he's trying to be impressive or imposing. So we know it's a fake voice he does that the character does, but even still when he's drunk, he still tries to keep it up. Now to his job. He's a literary agent. Specifically foreign literature. And this guy calls him up and asks him to find a copy of his first agreement. Yeah, his original contract. So that he can put it into a frame, which will introduce us to... Alva. Alva. Maria Conchita Alonso. His secretary or whatever the hell she's supposed to be. And then we just, basically, all I have to say about his interaction with her is it's disgusting to watch because all he ever does is scream with this poor woman. And what you come to find out is that he kind of wants her to kill him. Later on. Eventually. he, He treats her like shit throughout the entire movie. And it's all because he wants her to attack him. Well, he, that's, that's the way it ends up. At the beginning, it's just him exerting his control. Yeah. And him feeling better about his position is he can tell somebody else to do something. And he can never seem weak. So at a certain point in the movie when he's like, Alva, we can't find this agreement. And now this person is called back. And I'm going to have to provide him lip service. And I'm going to embarrass myself. And it's your fault for not finding this agreement. Now watch me do this. I want you to see what you're making me do. And he picks up the phone and he talks to the guy and the guy's like, hey, I'm going on a little trip. So uh, no rush on that thing. Just whenever you get to it, you get to it. That's cool. All right, bye. And then after the call, Cage says, seems I didn't have to do a song and dance after all, Alba. As you could hear, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Mr. Heatherton is boiling mad. And he has implied that if he doesn't get that copy within the week, he will terminate his agreement with our agency and sign up with a more efficient one. Am I getting through to you, Alva? Because he cannot seem weak, he cannot seem wrong, he always has to exert his control. But then eventually, because he does grok that being aggressive towards her is kind of driving her crazy, and he wants to die, he's trying to get her to kill him. So because yes, eventually it does. Lead everybody that way. talks about the fact that she has a gun in her purse, but what nobody knows is that it's not a loaded gun. Yeah, eventually she gets from her cousin or her brother uh, blanks. blanks. Yeah, to scare him away, but she doesn't understand that he really wants her to kill him, which is why he, I guess, as Chris points out later, it gets much much worse. He starts just screaming at her all the time, and he's just berating her and belittling and at one point she claims that he rapes her we see that he molests her we don't actually see him rape her but the assumption is there 
And it's just it's just so disgusting. It and is. It, and that's the hard part of this movie, which is why you need to know that definitely there is that content there. Yes. But there are some funny things. So, for example, <laughs> when he's talking to his therapist and he's getting angry, but he's trying to control himself, mm -hmm. he'll be yelling and then all of a sudden he'll just be like, and holy shit. Suddenly this bat comes swooping down out of nowhere. A bat? Holy shit. And then, like, he'll yeah. continue. Like, he he's trying to keep himself under control and it's... I'm not doing a good job of explaining it, but it's very funny. But this is also, like, the time when he does the alphabetization thing. Like, we can't find this because nobody alphabetized the shit. How hard is it to alphabetize it? And then he just goes through the alphabet. A, B, C, D. And he goes through. You think that, that it's going to end E, F, G. And then he just keeps going. And he gets through the whole entire thing. That's all you have to do. And he talks about in the commentary how there's a pose that he does that's very, like, Mick Jaggery pose. Okay. You know, where he has his hands on his hips and his oh, elbows back. Oh, I know what back. you're talking about. I didn't think that was a Mick Jagger thing, but okay. Yes. But he talks about how every one of those motions he does, it was entirely choreographed. He worked on it in his hotel room with his cat. <laughs> well, it actually is extremely choreographed. I mean, every one of those moves was was thought out in my hotel room with my cat. <laughs> so that is, it's not just him going crazy. He knew exactly what he wanted to do to seem crazy there. Thought that was pretty interesting, though. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that's what most actors do. They well, practice. Well, it wasn't just like, nah, 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 nah. no, he was like, okay, and then my hands do this, and then they do that, and then they do that, and then they do this, hands on the hips, elbows back, like it was a choreographed dance. So... He meets this chick. We haven't talked about him meeting the... Yes, uh, so then he meets Rachel. Yes. Who is Jennifer Beals. Yes, the chick from Flashdance. Yeah. And she... And see, this is the part where it's like, I have no idea if this is real. It's the same thing. He meets her at a bar, a club, whatever. They go back to his place, and she ends up biting his neck. And we see, full on, she has fangs, she's she's drawn blood, so it's like, we don't know if any of that really happened. And or he's like saying no, and then he starts saying yes, and he just relinquishes his control in that moment. And that's when he starts to break. This is the first time where he gives up control. She talks about how, like, you know, you chose me, I chose you, you're just like me. Which will become important later. Yeah. He tries to go out on a date with the chick from uh, from Science of the Lambs. Casey Lemons. They go to an art gallery, and he's being a total asshole. He ends up just fucking leaving her there. Yeah. We don't really know why. I think it's because he's so hung up on the girl before. Yeah. Like, the one he just had. But it's also, he really does think that he's becoming a vampire. Yeah. But still, I don't know why he's just a full-on dick to her. Can we talk about... His transformation into becoming a vampire, like how he thinks he can see himself in the mirror and he like reaches out to touch it. And then when he touches the mirror, he goes <laughs> like because he knows he shouldn't be able to see himself, but he obviously can. So instead, he reacts negatively any way he can to the no, mirror. No, he image. pretends like he can't see him. He says, where am I? Where am I? Later on, he does. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
It's same thing, like there's a moment where sun's shining in and it's this very Max Shrek sort of thing, like from Nosferatu. There's a lot of him walking around like Max Shrek and, and Nosferatu uh, with his head down and his shoulders hunched over and his hands kind of bent at the elbows like and Count hanging Orlock. down. Yeah, exactly, from Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. And there's one moment where like sunlight's shining in and he's like trying to stay out of it. And then, like, the phone rings or something, and he smash, he yanks the phone out of the wall, and in the process gets right in the sunlight. And doesn't and care. Doesn't even notice that he is. Yeah. It's this affectation, which is part of his control mechanisms, is now applying to his transformation into being a vampire. And there's a lot of it. So much so where he's trying to convince himself that he's becoming a vampire. But it's so obvious that he's not actually becoming a vampire. He he buys teeth. He tries to buy teeth. He wants to buy really good teeth and it's like They're too too expensive. expensive. He doesn't have any cash in his wallet. Yeah, and so he's walking around with those everywhere. And it's like, it's very obvious that it's all about affectation and it's a message about being basically an 80s yuppie, just like American Psycho was. Which is why I draw a correlation between the two. There's also confusion as to what reality is in both of them. There's this weird part where he goes to a restaurant. It's like a, you know, a diner. And he, like, screams, like, grease hole when he leaves. Yes, fucking grease hole! Fucking grease hole! (laughs) Yes, and... (laughs) It's so strange, and there's mimes in front of it, and they yeah. keep doing the same thing uh-huh. over and over. It's so weird. I don't get a lot of what's happening in this movie, and then just there's fun stuff. At one point, when he terrorizes Alva, he calls out to her, and she's not responding. And then he runs out into the office secretary pool area, and then he just hops up on the table and points to her and goes, "There you are! There you are!" <laughs> And it is so funny, but then he chases her. Yeah. And this is when it gets, like, really, like, bad to the point where he needs to apologize later after the fact. Because he chases her into the bathroom, and this other woman who works for him is like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) And then he has to apologize. But the weird thing is, is that then he goes and laughs about it with the guys that he works with. Yeah, including his boss, because it's, you know, this 80s man-led... It's like an ad agency, basically, where... But my question is, why were they okay with him chasing after her into the lake? Because they thought restaurant. it was funny, because he was probably high. They, It's a joke on him, and he's in on it, and they're all just having... A, it, it's this separation between the, the men, who are the actual businessmen, and, you know, the secretaries, who are disposable. And, oh, when they get distraught, isn't it cute? Isn't it funny? He does have another night with the vampire, and she's mad because he has seen that girl again, and she's like, I'm a jealous mistress. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or whatever, and she he, she does it again. At one point, he eats a cockroach? For what fucking reason? I think he's starving, and he tells himself he can only survive on blood. Which right, then, he needs to eat living things, like in Interview with a Vampire, where he survives on blood. rats. Yeah. And, you know, like that sort of thing. But it is in a thing. Renfield, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, eats cockroaches. There's also this big subculture thing. Like, if you vampire the masquerade, there is, I can't remember which one it is. There are different types of vampires you can be. And one of them are, like, the feral, monstrous kind. So it's kind of like that. Uh, but, yeah, he he literally eats an actual cockroach. That was his idea. Because they were going to do something weird. Like, he was going to eat something random. And it was 
going to be fake and everything. And he's like, what if I eat a cockroach? Because if I, I'm, I'm psyching myself up to do this. And if I don't do this, I'm going to regret having not done it. And I know it's going to be gross, but he does it. And he, he grabs a live cockroach and he pops it in his mouth and he really actually eats it. He says it's like the most disgusting thing he's ever done in his entire career. Apparently, though, they got a lot of like animal rights activists calling about it because, you know, if you were to do that to like a cat on set, that wouldn't be OK. So why is it OK for to do it for a cockroach? He did regret doing it, but his response was apparently could you honestly say you've never used a can of Raid in your home? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Like, so um, he talks about this whole thing in the commentary. Uh, there's there's one line where he says, uh, every muscle in my body didn't want to do it, but I did it anyway. You know, this was, this was his opportunity to just go crazy and wild. Same for him, same for the writer, same for the director. They were just take, it's a really cheap movie made for like under $2 million. Nicolas Cage did it for $40,000. $40,000 he did this movie, and he bought a uh, sports car, which he still has to this day, apparently. And he'll never never sell. It's his Vampire's Kiss car, he calls it. <laughs> it was his first sports car he ever bought. Yeah, he, he starts to, like, smoke cigarettes, and he's always wearing sunglasses, and he starts to really go insane. He thrashes around his apartment. What's happening to me? He starts walking around all funny. At one point he tells, so the girl that works for him is like, fuck it. I'm not going into work today. So he goes to get her and and his excuse is mescaline. I'll never do that again. Jeez. Yeah. And she says, oh yeah, I did did that in high school. school. And he's like, well, because he didn't really do mescaline. So I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and she's trying to relate to him. She's trying to ease the tension of the moment, right? And I think she's doing a really good job. And every time it seems like things are going to be better. So even when he does, like Kelsey said, go to go to her house, they, he, and he gets her back in the cab and he convinces her it's okay. It's not a big deal about the contract. Just we want you back. I'm really concerned about your health, etc. It's, it's right after that conversation that he says, you know, you're the lowest on the totem pole. Yes. It's a horrible, horrible job and you have to do it. He gets in He gets in the cab with her and everything's fine and she's happy to go back to work again. And he's like, so uh, then you'll find that contract for me. And she's like, wait a minute. I thought you said that the contract didn't matter. And he's like, well, we've been given a task and we must have pride in our work and like all of that stuff. And then he is shouting at her again in the cab and the cabbie does nothing. Yeah. Uh, he does talk to the cabbie at one point about the dude's wife. And he's like, Hey, there's a difference between like what I do for a living and what I do for love. Like these, you know, and it's again, emphasizing the fact that Peter Lowe, Nick Cage is a very lonely man. And that's going to drive him to do kind of crazy things. So, yes, he's back in the office. And then this is when he does the eyes thing, which you've definitely seen. And he tells her she's the, you're the lowest of the low. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to. And you have to do it. You have to. Or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Do you? He said that his objective in that scene, his only objective was to open up his eyes as wide as he possibly could 
in order to creep her out. I don't know. My whole motivation here was to try to see how big I could get my eyes, just to freak her out. It's just amazing how they work, those eyes. It's just amazing. <laughs> that is why it's a meme. Yep. <laughs> so good. He sees the vampress again when he professes his love for her. And then it's weird. This is the second time we'll see this. She's gone in the morning, but he pretends that she's there. And then he pretends like she's disappeared again. Uh Like he'll be talking. Like he's like, here, I made you breakfast. And then like she won't respond because she's not fucking there. Uh And it won't be until he finally says, okay, open up, like to give her some food. And then he's like, oh, no, she's not here. Uh Oh, she disappeared like a vampire. Yes. Uh But no, she was just never there. Yeah. So that begs the question of how many times has he seen this girl? Is it three times or is it only is the it just once? once? Yeah. So let's get into the part where he is just going downhill fast and it's getting really, really bad. There is the scene where he chases down Alva again. And now she has the gun that she got the blanks put in and she pulls it on him. He says, shoot me. I'm asking as your boss, I am telling you to shoot me. If you don't shoot me, you're fired. Like, shoot me. And she fires the gun. Of course, again, blanks. But he's like, don't shoot it at the ground. Shoot me. And she's she fires every once in a while, and it's not hitting him. And he's getting angrier and angrier. And this is when he attacks her, and we'll skip past this. He thinks she's turned into the vampress, and she's laughing. Yes, at one and- point. And he grabs her gun. And if if she's not going to kill him, he's going to do it. And he sticks the gun in his mouth and he pulls the trigger. Again, only blanks. Bunch of smoke comes out of his mouth and everything. And he does the... (laughs) Like that noise that he does because he can't kill himself. It's confirmation. I just shot myself in the head. I'm invincible. I am a vampire. And this is where he's now convinced himself he is. And he's tragic. And he's he's he can't believe this is happening. <laughs> it literally in the script is the word boo-hoo. <laughs> and he's like, well, how do I make boo-hoo interesting? And that's how he did it with the boo-hoo. <laughs> that, that was his boo-hoo. Ah. In the cry here, I want to say boo-hoo in a way that worked emotionally. I was always trying to challenge myself. Like, can you get away with actually saying boo-hoo? Yeah. <laughs> without it sounding childish. Yeah. But now it, there's there's proof. It's been confirmed, even though it really hasn't. I'm invulnerable to bullets. I must be a vampire. So what does he do? He starts running down the street shouting, I'm a vampire! 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 Yes, these street scenes are so awesome. So the director talks about how they were all shot on a long lens from very far away, and he was just literally running throughout neighborhoods and stuff. At one point early the next morning, when he's really bad and he's trying to get a stake to hurt himself, he rips off a piece of wood from a pallet. <laughs> this is the one part that does make me laugh. And he turns hard. to these two people that are walking down the street, which apparently were also homeless people. <laughs> and and he turns to them and he and he says, My girlfriend broke up with me. I'm a vampire. Kill me, kill me. <laughs> My girlfriend broke up with me. I'm a vampire. Kill me. Kill me. And they're like, whoa, whoa, hey, no, go away. They're just trying to avoid him. 
And then he's just walking around with this big plank of wood, and he's just moaning. Mm-hmm. This is the one part oh. that I, have, I do laugh at, because it's so <laughs> ridiculous. And he's literally in public doing this. Oh. So why is he covered in blood, though, Kelsey? Can we talk about that? Because... He killed a lady. <laughs> yes, maybe. Yeah, we don't really Other know. Other than the fact that he's covered in blood, we don't know that this really happened because there are no consequences and no one says anything about it. And he finds this mysterious woman alone in a club. Yes. And nobody's around. And he really does rip into her neck and kill her. I do love, though, that when he comes upon her, it's straight out of Nosferatu. Yeah. He's doing the whole stupid walk. Uh huh. And he comes upon her and she's by herself and he turns and looks at the camera. And yes. He's like, ah, uh-huh. like just like in Nosferatu. Yep. And we actually see Nosferatu, so we know that's not Nicolas Cage. That's not Nicolas Cage doing a Max Shrek impression. That's Peter Lowe doing a Max Shrek impression, which I think is pretty awesome. Yeah. And he gropes her, she slaps him, then he bites her and supposedly he kills her. Yeah. He ends up getting kicked out for causing a scene down on the lower floor when he runs into Rachel, Jennifer Beals, yeah, the vampire mistress. And she's like, she's totally normal. And she's there with another guy. And she's like, whoa, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, he, he reproaches her and he's like, it's me. And she's like, oh, how are Peter. you? <laughs> Peter, yeah, right. The guy I had a one-night stand with. Right. You know, and that's all he is to her. Yes. So he's really gone downhill. He's started to sleep under his his black leather sofa as a coffin during the daytime and only come out at night. When he is out in the daytime, he's constantly in pain and he's moaning and etc. And he ends up having a conversation with his therapist before we get into what he says in the meantime alva has teamed up with her cousin or brother i do not remember which one he is to track him down because he hurt her Mm -hmm. and he's like well i'm gonna kick this fucker's ass Mm -hmm. and so they're looking for him while he's just out on the street and he's just staring at this this brick wall corner on a corner and he's he's talking to the therapist and we see it the camera like vacillates between him uh, looking dopey and all disheveled and out on the street to him looking neat and collected and talking to his therapist and in this dream state he imagines that his therapist is like, oh, if all you wanted was love, here's this perfect woman. And he meets this her next client. And all you've ever wanted was love. And you two should just be together. And I forget what it is that she says that she likes. But he's like, those are exactly the same things I like. Yes. Okay. So about that. If you know what the Alien's Guide is, it was something that used to be on the Wisecrack channel on YouTube. And now it has its own channel called Alien's Guide. It's the alien's guide to various pieces of of earthling pop culture told from the perspective of thousands of years in the future after the destruction of Earth. They did one on Vampire's Kiss, and it points out that even though he says he wants love, he only looks for it in clubs where he knows it's going to be fleeting. That way he can control his failure. If he never sees this person again, it's not a failure. If he tries to start a relationship and he and it doesn't happen, then he has to accept the fact that he's not in control. When Peter finally reaches into his imagination to conjure the ideal woman, she simply reflects the qualities that he likes about himself. I like poetry, horseback riding, Vivaldi, 
and long weekends in the country. Those are exactly the same things that I like. But his shattered psyche can't maintain the fantasy, as even his imagined dream girl starts to yell at him like he's screwed the pooch without calling it the next day. Everybody knows you gotta call the pooch. Call the pooch. Gotta call the pooch. When he goes home, finally, and he thinks she's with him, they still get into an argument. And they break up. And they break up. You always do this, even though they met just a few minutes prior. And that's really funny. But the cousin is in his apartment and finds him. And they get into a fight. Well, because he he basically is like, he takes the stake and he puts it up there and he's like, yeah. kill me. As he's down on the ground, he puts it he puts it on his chest and holds it up for him to kill him. And the dude grabs it and shoves it into his chest, killing him. Then we cut to the face of Rachel. This is the only denouement we get. Saying to the camera, dream of me, my angel, dream of me. Dream of me, my angel. Dream of me. And then we get credits over the Manhattan skyline. We don't see Alva's cousin getting away. The movie is basically like, yeah, we set up the events, but we're not really concerned about the consequences. The consequences are not the point. We talk often about, okay, what now? But the movie is explicitly like, what now doesn't fucking matter. This was just an exercise to see the de-evolution of this man and what this yuppie obsession with um, posture and elevation and control kind of like gets you. And again, it was an exercise for some filmmakers and actors to just have fucking fun and do whatever they wanted. But that's the end of the movie. Kelsey, do you have lightning round stuff? There's a couple of things... It does open on the New York City, just a whole bunch of close-up shots of it, and then it ends with New York City. So, like, obviously it's saying something about, you know, Wall Street and the people uh who who work there. But I'm sorry, I think American Psycho is much more clear with its message. I disagree. This may be controversial, but I think the ending of American Psycho muddies the water. As to the message, it makes things very like, well, what do you think? Whereas, uh, but whereas this is very clearly by the end of the movie, it's all in his head and he was fucked up. I disagree. It's not that clear. It's pretty clear, but I still don't know if she was really a vampire or not. I think the fact that we see her again in the club, she is nothing like we've seen her at all. And she's like, oh, right, Peter. Well, that's actually, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up for lightning round. Uh-huh. He, he keeps saying, look at her teeth, look at her teeth. And she's like, shut up, shut up. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. And I know, I, I'm 99% positive they did that on purpose to keep the illusion up. Right, but that's, that's easy, like, because she was biting on his neck to get sexual pleasure. And he's basically talking about her her sexual proclivities in public. I guess. Like, yeah, she's shutting him up. I guess. And he doesn't have any powers. He doesn't exert any powers at all, ever. Every time we think it should be a certain way, and even Peter thinks it should be a certain way, it doesn't play out that way. We talk about the sunlight. We talk about the mirror. Well, but we don't know for a fact if he killed that woman by drinking her blood or not. Which is another question. He doesn't need to have drunk. He he throws up because he did drink her blood. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. So he throws up later. So is that telling us that he actually drew blood? Because wouldn't that be really hard with our normal teeth? 
Well, he's he's using those fake plastic teeth. No, he's and, not. Not he he puts them back oh, okay. in when he's done with her. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, it would be really hard. But you can. You can. You can absolutely tear out part of somebody's neck with your teeth. Yeah. No, you were very vulnerable on the side of your neck, especially with the fact that you're jugular. But human teeth can go that deep. No, he's he's ripping flesh away from her neck. Oh. He's not puncturing her neck and then drinking her blood. He's taking a bite out of, like a literal bite out of her neck. Well, so that is impossible. Our teeth cannot do that. We cannot puncture holes. No. Okay. You can't put that much pressure without also putting pressure along the rest of your teeth line there and then ripping at that point. Uh, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of blood pressure right there. So there's a very important vein right there. So it's pumping really, really hard there. That's why you'll get like arterial spray and all that. But yeah, he throws up because the blood's not doing him any good. Of course that you does. Throw, you can, can swallow a pint of blood before you vomit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Before you throw and up. he must've done more than that. But then again. You know again, what that's from? from Fight Club. You can swallow a pint of blood before you get sick. But that brings back into question, did he actually kill this woman? The point is, is either he didn't, or he did, and he's still not a vampire. I'm a vampire! Yes, I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! There's gonna be a lot of stuff I'll be posting on Twitter about the memes themselves, and... Things that should be memes. This is going to be a really hard episode to edit because there are tons of gems that I'm going to have to put into it. Like, it is full of that shit. And I was laughing out loud so much, which is why it's so depressing that there's just this moment in the middle of the movie where it's like, oh, uh, this is, I can't, there's no humor here, you know, and it's, this is serious shit. And it just kind of turns you off and it takes a while to get you back into it. There's a moment after he's talking with his therapist after the bat experience and he talked about how he got aroused and she's like well you were just with a young woman in bed and he was like i was in mortal combat with the fucking bat give me a break that's that's a line i was gonna say too (laughs) so good but you said just a few seconds before you were in the throes of passion yeah i know so then you were aroused with the girl yes with the girl Oh, sure, yes, absolutely. But then she left the room and I was... I mean, I came down. You know, I was in Mortal Kombat with a fucking bat. Give me a break. I love there's a part where I forget why he's upset. Something happens and... The tortures of the dead. Yes. (laughs) Christ! The tortures of the dead. Talk about the tortures of the damned. (laughs) I think the important thing to remember here is it's supposed to be comedic. You're supposed to laugh at Peter, which is another reinforcement that he is not supposed to be a sympathetic character, just a pathetic one. Even Rachel calls him pathetic. And he is the object of the humor. He is the one you're laughing at, not with, which, like I say, reinforces that. So you don't need to worry about liking him, right? He's an asshole. You're not supposed to like him. You're not even supposed to root for him in any way, which is why the movie ends with him dying. And it's just like, that's the end of the story. The movie almost doesn't care what happened to him. So you're not supposed to either. So as a watcher, don't think that this movie is trying to put you in his shoes or make him sympathetic in any way, because he's not sympathetic at all. Uh, there's a lot of other one-liners, but 
I think we're pretty good. I yeah, me too. Good. What do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure this movie has developed quite a following because of the fucking memes and everything. So. Right, but these are verified, like, these are reviews from places that do movie reviews, not just users. I'll go with 58. 61, actually. And the consensus review consists of, he's a vampire, he's a vampire, he's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> that is the consensus review. No cinema score, but get this, a Metacritic of 31. Okay. That's a huge difference. I can see this at 61 Rotten Tomatoes. I can see this as being slightly below 50, but 31? That's nuts. More people like this movie than didn't like it, but the average rating is 31. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What would you give it? I will give it a 35. I'm sorry, Bear. I love this movie. And it had definitely has its faults. And there's some hard parts to watch. But I really, really enjoy this movie. And I could watch it again right now. I would give it a 70. Oh, my God. This is definitely going to show up Even on Even the funny parts. I mean, that's year. why I'm giving it a 35. No, you heard me laugh out loud several times. Good Lord. Several times. Because I'm not hung up on trying to... Like, redeem this man, or like, I don't need him to be likable to be funny. It's not funny enough. I think it's really funny. I don't think it's funny enough. Just the insanity is funny. I don't know. And I love the idea that he's so bought into this that he destroys his own life, even though there's practically nothing in the movie that would suggest he's actually turning into a vampire. That's funny to me. You know what? He's a fucking capitalist, yuppie 80s guy who. Has his life ruined because he's so obsessed with being this person who's in control and is always successful and and is elevated above everyone else. That leads to his downfall, and that's pleasant for me. (laughs) I think American Psycho is funnier because, but again, I feel this way, you don't. I think American Psycho has a much clearer message. I think it's much more obvious that you're not supposed to like these people. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to feel sorry for them in any way. Whereas this movie, not that they're trying to make you feel sorry for him, really, but that. Nah, did, yeah. They're trying, I don't know. I think I you're know. supposed to sympathize with Patrick Bateman more than you are Peter Lowe. No! Because, because of how the movie ends. You are supposed to be just as confused. I'm not going to spoil the ending, but you are supposed to be just as confused as he is putting you de facto in his position, making him more sympathetic. And the whole point is you're not supposed to like these guys. So why would you put him in a sympathetic position at the end of the movie? Maybe American Psycho is just more interesting. <laughs> That's that I will accept. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's a much better made movie. Yes. But this movie is more of a playground. I don't think it's supposed to be like a quality film. It's just fun. And I'm okay with that. And I can really enjoy that. But absolutely valid opinion you have. I can totally understand why you don't like this movie. Okay. That is 1988's Vampire's Kiss. Before we move on to the voices, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. In 2009's The House of the Devil, what Academy Award-nominated director played Megan, the best friend of protagonist Samantha Hughes? What? Yeah. Oh. 
wasn't the director like um or sorry wasn't the was the best friend like um oh god what's her name she has like a like a like a silly name i don't mean like it's a stupid name but it's like a fun sort of like it repeats the same sound over twice it's uh what's her name greta gerwig oh god no i was way off base oh well kind of does yeah greta gerwig uh she is she's an academy award winning Director. No. Oh, she's Academy Award winning writer. She got the nomination for Lady Bird. She didn't win. For director. Oh. But she also got a nomination for writer, and it was nominated for Best Picture. She won something. She won the Golden Globe that year for Best Musical or Comedy for Lady Bird. That's another one that I really enjoyed and you didn't like as much. Yeah. I thought it absolutely perfectly captured that part of somebody's life. Like just perfectly. Someone just being a utter fucking See, this moron. Is why and she doesn't bitch. like it. Well, Kelsey, when you were that age, you were a moron and a bitch too. I was a moron and a dick. <laughs> but it like it really did capture what it was like to be that age. I felt she also won an Independent Spirit Award for Best Screenplay. Yeah, she won a lot of awards for it, but she didn't win any Academy Awards. You're right. All right, Kelsey, protagonist Rocky is one of how many thieves in Don't Breathe 2016? Three! That is correct. And Rocky's a girl. It's true. She's awesome. She needs to be in more shit. What is her name? Although she wasn't great in the Stephen King show. Then again, her Well, she didn't have a lot to do. Yeah, her character didn't have much to do. Yeah, Jane Levy. Also directed by Fede Alvarez, who is doing... The new labyrinth. What? Yeah. What? It's not the same labyrinth. Okay. <laughs> it's they're not remaking the labyrinth. Okay. It's a fantasy film called the. It's called Labyrinth, not the Labyrinth, about a mythical princess who searches for her father in I'm a perilous sorry. labyrinth. Are you under the impression that it's called the Labyrinth? Because it's not. Oh, is it? Okay. No. Jesus. <laughs> there's certain films which you cannot get wrong around kelsey those films include fight club and labyrinth among others he did girl in the spider's web too after this but yeah he did some stuff that we really liked he did evil dead and he did don't breathe which we talked about on the show and they announced a second don't breathe movie so we don't know what it's about uh, the blind man returns to terrorize more unsuspecting people of course he does mm-hmm Spoilers for the ending of that movie, I guess. Ah! <laughs> All right, moving on to 2014's The Voices, written by Michael R. Perry and directed by Marjane Satrapi. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or not. I apologize if I butchered it, which I'm sure I did. Starring Ryan Reynolds, Gemma Arterton, and Anna Kendrick. What is The Voices about? A mentally disturbed man tries to find love while at the same time refusing to take his medication, and bad things happen. Yes, it is free on Stars again. $4 to rent and $10 to buy on Amazon and iTunes. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? No. The, the, Ryan Reynolds is is very funny in this. Well, kind of. He's funny and he's charming. You can get that from any Ryan Reynolds movie. And there are other Ryan Reynolds movies that will make you laugh a million more times than this does. Disagree. 
100% disagree. This is a very big disagree episode for, for Kelsey and I. Ryan Reynolds, I love Ryan Reynolds, but ever so since do I. I understand, ever since Van Wilder, he's been basically the same character in everything he's done. Everything. If you think that Ryan Reynolds is the same character in everything, watch this movie. He is extremely talented, and this is the best acting, I think, of his entire career. If you want to see what Ryan Reynolds can do, granted, I haven't seen Buried, but if you want to see what Ryan Reynolds can do, watch this movie. I disagree. He's the same character. He's just not as cocky as you're used to. That's all that the difference is. And he's literally cocky in everything. 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 Everyone. Ever since Van Wilder, and in Waiting, in Deadpool, in the fucking Proposal, like, he is the cocky jackass that's really hot and everyone loves him. You know, like, he's that character in everything, and he is extremely good at it. And there's a reason why we keep coming back to see him in these roles, because he's very good at it. This takes him out of that. He is not cocky at all. He is not arrogant at all. He is timid and confused and scared That's and a really great angry. theory there. Huh? Say it again. I didn't hear you. One of his jokes is he's singing too loudly. And the guy says, hey, give me a break, man. He goes, that's some really great hair you got there, buddy. Some really great hair. Because he's balding. That's him being a cocky He was not insulting him. He was trying to find a way to compliment him. And the only thing he can think about was his hair. (laughs) That's him fucking up at social situations. Ryan Reynolds, when he's trying to be sweet, it comes off as cocky. No, 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 no. He's not. He's he's fucking up. He is, he is, you're right, he's doing it bad, but it's not him insulting the guy. He doesn't mean to insult the guy. He ends up doing it because he's really bad at social interaction. Can you imagine a Ryan Reynolds that's bad at social interactions? Because he's never that character. He is in this, and you can really see his range, and he has a wide range in this movie. He has a very wide range, and he is, at certain points in this movie, lovable, adorable, Charming and terrifying. Again, a content warning. This movie is terrifying. It gave me chills at several points. If you're a woman out there and you've had bad interactions by being trapped by a man and afraid for your life, this might dredge that back up again. Like, it's intense. And I thought it was incredible. I really, really liked it. I'm not going to give it like a 100% or anything like that. It's not like that incredible. But I really, really enjoyed it. I think you should watch it. Kelsey, on the other hand, hated both movies this week. And for legitimate reasons. It's just we have a different point of view on this, I think. You can take our advice or leave it. Actually, you can't. You're going to do one or the other. (laughs) And when we get back, we will talk about 2014's The Voices. Do you ever hear voices? Mr. Whiskers, he makes me do bad things. Me out of that. What you did to me. I'm so sorry. Ryan Reynolds. Gemma Arterton. Nicole. Anna Kendrick. Get out, you league. Shush. Yo, shut up, cat. 
You totally stopped taking your pills, didn't you? Totally. Kill her. The feel truly alive. The Voices. In cinemas March 20th. One thing I should point out is that we already actually talked about a Ryan Reynolds performance that is not very Ryan Reynolds, and that is Amityville Horror, which was, there was kind of nothing to it. And so you did get a, a chance to see him. Like, he is way scarier in this movie than he is in Amityville Horror. In Amityville Horror, he's just a dad who gets angry sometimes, and that's the character. <laughs> in this... He's a nice guy, in quotes, and that makes him much more terrifying, I think. But can you get us started? How does The Voices begin? We have a lovely intro song, Welcome to Milton. Yeah. I wonder if that's supposed to be, like, in his mind. This is another movie where you're constantly wondering if what you're seeing is real. Yeah. Because in his mind, life is perfect. And so he'll he'll hear music and he'll see people, like, putting on performances. And you don't know if maybe he's just distorting reality a little bit. Perhaps it's just all in his head. It's really difficult to tell. So there's this whole song about Welcome to Milton and how great it is to work in Milton. And we watch him working in a factory... I don't remember what they make, but he basically boxes things. They, they make, like, bathtubs and sinks and stuff like that. Okay. And you had, they all have pink suits. Yeah, it adds, it adds some color and personality visually to the entire movie, which is important because there are contrasts coming up later. We also learn that he has a therapist, just like the guy from Vampire's Kiss does. Mm-hmm. And it is all, it is a court appointed therapist, but we won't find out why until later. And so we find out from her that he basically, he's been released. And he basically has this job kind of like through the government kind of thing. Right. And he has to do really well there or go back. Yeah, I assume he's on probation of some sort. Yeah. That's what I would assume. And she is constantly, and she will say this throughout the movie, are you taking your pills? Are you taking your medication? And basically the answer is always no. Yes. And she's just like, you have to take them. It's part of your probation. Like, if you don't, I, I, ha- I have to send you back. Yeah. Any side effects with the meds? I don't know. Are you taking them? I don't know. You have to take them. Okay. And it's pretty clear from the get-go that he has schizophrenia. I mean, it's called The Voices. Right. So, But we also get a feeling that nobody knows who he is, so nobody knows his history. Yeah, just his boss knows that he is on, like, a work release program or something like that. Nobody else at his work knows that. They just know that he's kind of weird. Yes. And because he's the newest guy on his floor, he has to help plan the barbecue. And from what he shows us, he's really excited. Yeah, he's eager. He wants to be normal. And I think this is a is, this is a big motivation for the character throughout the entire thing. He wants to be normal. He wants to be liked. He wants to be happy. These are all things that he wants and he works really, really hard for. His job is to set up the 
a PA system for the music. But we actually, we don't find that out till later. But so they ask him to play on the barbecue party. And he outwardly is very excited. But when he goes home to see his dog Bosco and his cat Mr. Whiskers, who talk to him, Mr. Whiskers kind of shows his... So basically, Mr. Whiskers is his evil side and Bosco is his good side. Right, just think you're angel and devil on the shoulders sort of thing. And Mr. Whiskers basically tells us he thinks... They chose me because I'm the lowest on the totem pole. It's a horrible, horrible job, and I can't think of anyone else that would have to do it except you. Yeah. That's right, Alva. It's a horrible, horrible job. Sifting through old contract after old contract. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to. And you have to do it. You have to, or I'll fire you. Do you understand? You know, he feels like they're shitting on him. Yeah. So it's already like super difficult to understand what Ryan Reynolds' character is actually thinking and feeling. And the voices and the personalities align pretty clearly to stereotypes with cats and dogs. You know, Bosco is, he's doofy and, you know, he talks like this. And he's positive. And Mr. Whiskers is Scottish and bitter and negative about everything. And apparently his voice is based off of somebody that Ryan Reynolds has known for a very long time. Some Scottish friend of his. Because, yes, Ryan Reynolds does both the voices of Bosco and Mr. Whiskers. So... The cat is the one that's like, you know, they're all laughing at you. They all think you're an unstable crybaby. They don't actually like you. They don't actually, like, care if you help. They just need the lowest on the totem pole, blah, 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 blah. You act like they're doing you a favor to let you work there. Like they should be able to fuck you in the ass without lube whenever they want. Like some big privilege letting you work for free on their picnic. How do you know about the picnic? I know everything, Jerry. It's I'm not talking to you. They mock you the second you leave the room, Jerry. You're an unstable crybaby. Not a crybaby. You're crying right now, liar. Come on. The only reason they don't fire your ass is because you're so hopelessly pathetic you amuse them. Shut up! And yeah, so that's their their introduction. Back to at work. One of the reasons why he was so excited to help is because a girl from accounting, a British woman, will be helping as well. Fiona. And Fiona suggests that they have a conga line in the hallways. And Ryan Reynolds is like, that's awesome. And we will play the music through my PA system and it'll be fantastic. So everyone else who's on the planning committee, like, hates it and is really... Well, they're just negative. Yes. And he's the only one, him and Fiona are the only ones that are trying to be super positive about the experience. Uh At the end, they're like, hey, all the pizza that's left over, anybody who wants it can have it. And Ryan Reynolds is very excited to collect this food. And one of the guys who's there stays behind. And he's like, hey, you want free pizza? And he's like, no, why would I? Cold free pizza? No. And he's like, what's better than free pizza? And the other guy's like, lots of things. Sushi, for instance. Yeah. Uh Hey, do you want any of this pizza, John? 
Cold pizza? No, thank you. Oh, free pizza. Looks better than free pizza. Lots of things. Sushi, for example. Uh, it's like raw fish, right? No. It's perfectly cooked rice, seasoned by a master chef, on top of which he places specially selected slices of the highest quality line-caught ocean fish. Raw fish. Gross. You should stick to fast food. And so we're learning that Ryan Reynolds' character is not worldly. He doesn't know. He hasn't tried a lot of things. No, he's he's pleased by simple things. And he's really hard to get down. Like, he does not respond negatively to, I think, you could correct me, I think anything any other character does. <laughs> And people make fun of him, people say things that he doesn't get, people put him down, and he is he is never driven to be negative by other people. Just the but, voices inside his head. But the fact that the cat is well aware of all of the things in his life yeah. and points out the negativity of all of them right. shows us that he is very much aware. He, oh, he's aware, yes, but he tries his damnedest to... Rise above it, or whatever. Stay a good boy. Yes. Yes, stay a good boy. So, another meeting with a therapist where they're talking about the pills, and he's just like, I don't know if I'm taking them. What do you mean you don't know? You have to. And we find out that his mother also heard voices. She called them angels. Mm -hmm. And the therapist is like, dude, you need to tell me that you know they weren't real. And he's like, of course I know they aren't real. But in reality, he's also hearing voices. Right, but again, he knows they're not real, but that doesn't stop the fact that he hears them. Do you ever hear voices? Mm, voices? No. I mean, when someone's talking to me. You hesitate a little bit there. It just makes me think of my mother. Angels was what she called her voices. Yeah. Angels were her coping strategy. The voices were real to her. Angels were a reasonable attempt to craft a logical explanation. I, I, I know, I know that, I know that. Yeah, I know she was the best mother that she knew how to be, you know. Right, exactly. And he tells her about Fiona, and he's like, you know, I don't know how to tell her about my past without scaring her away or lying to her. And so he, he resolves to the following. If it comes up, I'll be honest and I'll tell her the truth. But if it doesn't come up, I just won't say anything. And the therapist is like, you know what, that's probably reasonable. <laughs> like, you don't just go introducing yourself to everyone you meet or, you know, everyone at your work saying, hi, I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, like that's no, of course not. And it's ridiculous to expect somebody to do that. So as you get closer to somebody, then you reveal these sorts of things. And it's probably a very tricky situation trying to figure out when that time is. The cat tells him, you're out of your league, you're not going to be with her or whatever. And we get this whole segment of him at this party, and it's impossible to tell if this is what's really happening or not. They do the conga line through the hallways. He's dancing with her. When he looks at her, he sees, like, cartoon butterflies and Well, yeah, stuff. and so we were talking about, like, okay, at what point is this going to kick in and then we see what's really going on, right? It doesn't. It ends with him, after the fact, talking to his pets about how much fun he had. But there's a few things that are keys that tell us this is just how he 
interpreted the situation. Number one, of course, the butterflies and visual effects. But that, you know, it's in his head at the moment. doesn't mean that he's not dancing with her, right? Number two, literally everyone is doing the conga line, including people who said they wouldn't be caught dead doing the conga line. Uh, You could maybe write that off as saying like, hey, you know, they got swept up in the moment or they finally just broke down and agreed to do it or whatever, right? Number three, spoiler for the rest of the movie, and we're not going to lay it out necessarily in order, but the order of the women that he works with, that he kills, is the same order in which he kills them. The order that they appear in that conga line is the order in which he kills them. So... It's impossible to tell. We don't know. You really don't know what really happened or not. Yeah. But based on her reaction, it seems like it went pretty well. Yes. But we don't know. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to tell what's real and what's not real. So he decides to ask her out. But before he can actually get around to doing it, Anna Kendrick, who also works in accounting, so he goes down to accounting to ask Fiona out, she invites him to go out to drinks for with the girls. Like at a TGI Fridays or whatever. Yes. <laughs> you know? And both Fiona and the other chick are like, what the fuck? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> so they go out and they're, she, Fiona is telling them, you know, oh, it's time to go back to England, which will become important. She is she is saying how bored she is with this job, with this yeah, life, and that she, she might want to go back. She followed a man out here and then they broke up and she doesn't know why she's still there. To which Ryan Reynolds says, I know karate. (laughs) I know kung fu. So it's kind of like he only hears what he wants to. (laughs) You say, I only hear what I want to. I don't listen hard. Don't pay attention to the distance that you're running to anyone, anywhere. I don't understand if you really care. I'm only hearing negative. No, no, no. I, I mean, maybe, or he doesn't know how to respond to certain things, and so he's like, well, shit, I don't know how to deal with that. Change the subject. Karate. I know karate. <laughs> I think it's time to move back home. <laughs> I know karate. And then at the end of the evening, Anna Kendrick basically says, will you give me a ride home to Ryan Reynolds? To which Fiona looks at her like, what the fuck? Now, we all know that Ryan Reynolds wanted to ask Fiona out. We get that. Since when was Fiona interested in Ryan Reynolds? And then, when Ryan Reynolds ends up saying, Oh yeah, Fiona, I'll take you home. Basically a slap in the face to Anna Kendrick. Then, Fiona's like, what the fuck? I didn't want you to take me home. And it's like, what does Fiona want? Well, I think that's an important question. I think she is a very wishy-washy character who doesn't have a lot of firm beliefs about anything. But she's very judgy about everyone else. (laughs) So, when he's taking her home, he asks her to go to... Shishin, or Shishan. Shishan. Shishan, yeah. uh What are you doing this weekend? I was hoping There's this cool Chinese restaurant that I wanted to take you to. Shishan. Chinese. Yeah, but it's more than just egg rolls and fortune cookies. You want to go? When? On Friday night. I'll pick you up after work. No, it's, it's all right. I don't need a lift. Or just meet there, then? The show starts at 7. There's a show. A show, yes. More than just a show. The best spectacle in the world. You'll love it. Wow. Prepare to be amazed. Okay, <laughs> cool. I'll get there early. I'll save you a seat. This Chinese restaurant it. place. Shishin. Shishin. Um... <laughs> 
it's this Chinese restaurant place that has like the big a big show element. There's a there's a dude that does an Elvis impersonation and there's a show. There's like a karate exhibition. There's all sorts of stuff. And it's this big event and he's really excited to take her. And when Anna Kendrick is like later on, it's like, wait, we're, we're all going out on Friday. It's karaoke night. She's like, oh, that's right. Oh, okay. Well, he'll get over it. Well, she is going to leave him a message, supposedly. And then we never get clarification on if she actually left him a message or not. No, I think there's no reason not to believe that she did because she says she'll leave it at the end of the day after she's ar- she already knows he's not going to answer and he's not going to check his messages. So she has plausible deniability that, oh, I tried to contact you or whatever. But she absolutely is intentionally standing him up. She knows He's going to go and expect her to be there, and she knows she can stop that from happening, but she doesn't want to deal with the confrontation. She's like, ah, he'll get over it. Now, the weird thing is, is that obviously Anna Kendrick has a crush on Ryan Reynolds, because why the fuck wouldn't you? Uh Uh-huh. And... When he comes, he comes down there to give the address of Shishan, and Fiona is hiding, and Anna Kendrick is like, oh, I'll make sure that she gets it. And when the girl pops up and tells her, oh, yeah, I'll just leave that message, blah, 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 Anna Kendrick goes, you're a real sweetheart, Fiona. But then, at karaoke night... They're, they're friends. They're best friends? Yeah, they are best friends. Well, they're, they're best work friends. They get along great. You know, it doesn't mean you have to literally agree with everything that your friend does. But anyway, he's sitting there alone at dinner. They're having fun at karaoke. There's a great part where the other friend, Allison, sings, Oh, baby, I like it raw. Yeah. And she does such a good ODB. job. Oh, baby, I like it raw. <laughs> <laughs> so Fiona decides to leave. Anna Kendrick drives her to her car. Anna Kendrick asks, do you want me to wait? Always say yes, ladies. Yes. Always say yes. But she it's, says no. It's raining. It's like midnight. She's in an industrial style place and she has not yet started her car. So, but Anna Kendrick leaves and her car won't start. Yeah. Like Kelsey says, always say yes to have that person stick around. If you are that person, stick around. Yes. Don't even ask. Just say, hey, I'm just going to stick around, make sure you get off okay, and then I'll go. Mm-hmm. She doesn't. She drives off, and of course, Fiona can't get her car started. And her phone is broken because earlier in the evening she dropped it. Yes. And so she goes out to the street to try to flag somebody down, and it just happens to be when Ryan Reynolds is driving by. And he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. She's like, well, didn't you get my message? And he's like, no. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, she just needs to play this act and then she gets off the hook. Yeah. And that's the weird thing, too, because, like, she does genuinely be like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, I I thought I left you that message. And then she's like, well, I guess I owe you. You can go ahead and take me home. You get the privilege. It's just like her character is bizarre. I don't know. Well, she's an awful person what are you doing out here i was listening to music i i, I went to shishan i didn't see you there didn't you get my message 
No. 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 I'm so sorry, Jerry. Can you, uh, get a hot chocolate or something? I suppose I owe you, don't I? Go on then. The first person that dies, you need to kind of almost not care that she's dead. They're easing you into the fact that multiple people are going to die because pretty soon people you like are going to die. So they need to ease you into that concept. But then, so she's like, okay, I'm going to change. Uh -huh. And Jerry's staring at her and she's like, don't stare, Jerry. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And he closes his eyes. Uh -huh. But then when she's done, she's like full speed ahead and suddenly she's having fun. And it's like her character well, just goes she's drunk. back and forth and back and forth. Right, but she's drunk and she wants to have fun and she doesn't care who she hurts in the process. So you're going to see her doing that a lot. Well, not much longer. So they're driving out there, and while they're out there, he asks her a trivia question of there are only four angels named in the Bible. And she's like, oh, God. <laughs> Jerry, you aren't some kind of religious kook, are you? And he's like, no, there are four angels who are named in the Bible. They are Raphael, Michael, and Gabriel. Uh, who is the fourth one? And she's like, I don't fucking know. And he's asking her, and he's trying to encourage her to answer. Come on, you know his name. You know him. You're just not thinking of him. And he's not paying attention and they end up hitting a deer. Totally not his fault. Well, he wasn't looking. Animals run out. Right. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. So now this deer's head is in the cabin, smashed through, and the buck starts talking to Jerry. And it's it's Ryan Reynolds' voice again. And it's basically <laughs> like, hey, I, I, you need to kill me. Take your knife and kill me. And so he reaches down to the side of his of his uh, seat and pulls out this giant like Bowie knife. And I mean, it's obvious what he's doing. And she's like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. Yeah. She's and he's putting like, this... I, I have to put him out of his misery. Yes. And which so is he... a real thing. Right. But he slits that deer's throat right there in front of her and gets its blood all over her. And then he says, Lucifer is the final angel. And she screams and runs <laughs> out of the car. <laughs> Jerry, kill me. I want to die. Take your knife and cut my throat. Don't worry, I'll help you. What? No, no, Jerry! I gotta no. do it, I gotta do it! The fourth angel is Lucifer. What? Lucifer is an angel, a fallen angel. <laughs> and it's really good. It's a really well put together scene. Yes. So she's running out and he still holding this knife. He hasn't thought to drop it yet. Comes running after and it's like, no, don't run into the woods. You'll get lost. Stop. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen. And he means every word of this until she falls. He falls on her and stabs her, but doesn't kill her. And he's like, oh, God. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Now I got to put you out of your misery. I'll end your suffering. Yeah. And so he stabs her through the heart. But then he continues to stab her while saying he's I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. He, that's him getting out his murderous impulses. Exactly. Yeah. And while he's doing it, he's crying. And then when he's done, he smiles. And it's like, I don't know what this character is supposed it to be thinking good. and feeling. It felt good. Whiskers tells you later. 
that it feels good to him. He tries to suppress this. He knows he shouldn't, but it does feel good, which is why once, yes, he jumped to that conclusion that she needs to be put out of her misery really fucking fast. But once it's, okay, it's been determined it's better for her if I kill her, true or not, once he's made that decision, okay, now she's dead. Now I can get out my murderous impulses. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, oh, God, that felt good. Okay. So when he gets home, he's talking about how he feels like he's an evil person, and Mr. Whiskers tells him, no, it's instinct. Yeah, you're not evil. It's instinct. You don't have anything to be ashamed of. You felt that was the most alive you've ever felt. Uh Uh-huh. But now you have to get rid of the body. And Bosco's like, I think you're a good boy. They're going to throw your ass in jail where tattooed meth addicts will butt fuck you daily for 15 years to life. You're a good man. Who made a mistake? Nobody is going to rape you, Jerry. But he did mean to do it. No. Not the deer. That was an accident. I'm talking about the girl. You wanted to kill her. Never. Why did you take the knife then? Oh, my God. I'm evil. No, you're not. I've killed things on purpose, Jerry. There's no shame in it. It's instinct. The only time I felt truly alive is when I'm killing. The only time I've ever felt truly alive. You see what I mean? But you have to do something about the body, Jerry. And so he goes and he he gets the body and he ends up cutting it up into all these little Tupperware containers. And he's very OCD about this. But he doesn't notice that when he picked her up, he left some entrails behind. (laughs) (laughs) And he doesn't see all the blood everywhere. Right. And this is the first, not the first time, but this is like the big moment where you realize... He's just shutting certain things out. Yes. He knows she's dead and he has to take care of the body, but he doesn't see how gruesome it is. Right. When he is not taking his medication, which he currently is not, everything is happier and better for him, but only because he cannot see reality, clearly. And there might be this weird sort of contradiction here where, oh, yeah, if you take your pills, everything fucking sucks. So don't take your pills, people. But no, what the, what taking the pills does later on in the movie is it shows him reality. That reality is there the entire time, whether he realizes it or not. So him not taking the pills just so he doesn't have to deal with reality doesn't stop that reality from existing. Mm-hmm. So... He cuts her all up and he puts her into these Tupperware containers and they're all organized by color like a checkerboard pattern. And he saves her head and he puts it in his refrigerator and it starts to talk. And first of all, it forgives him. Yes, you just did what you had to do. Again, these voices are coming from him, not anywhere else. And so he's absolving himself of any guilt. But then it's like later on, it's like, I need a friend. I am bored. Because he knows Fiona would be bored. <laughs> Again, more conversations with the therapist about the fact that he needs to take his medication. It's around here where I wrote, this movie is very uncomfortable. I really want to like him, but it's just super nope. impossible. You, yeah. He starts taking his medication again for one night, and he, we get to see the reality of his living situation. Yes, and this scene reminded me a lot of... Drop Dead Fred. If you've seen Drop Dead Fred, then you understand what I'm talking about. If you haven't, then you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I've seen it multiple times. What are you talking about? She's given pills. Uh Uh-huh. And then if she takes them, he will disappear. 
And it shows that, like, she's fully aware, hey, you're not real. Uh-huh. And if I take this medication, you will be gone. And it's, it shows how difficult it is for her to 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 live without yeah. him. uh-huh. Right? He starts panicking when he can't hear when his he starts panicking when his animals stop talking to him. Exactly. He loses his friends. And so I felt a lot of parallels there and it's just like I don't know how I feel about it. I don't think you're supposed to feel anything about it. I don't but like I know people who are schizophrenic and I know that they have to take medication and it's like it makes them quote unquote normal. But it really does do a lot of the things that they show in this movie. It makes their happiness go away. Right. And, and this is, is that a, okay? Is this that is a good a, thing? This is a very real thing. But when you hear voices that are telling you to kill, I'd rather you just take the pills and go to therapy. And just because you're taking pills, like we use a generic term pills because the movie doesn't tell you exactly what he's taking, I don't think. But there are various different cocktails and combinations that you can take. If it's not working for you, you don't just stop. You tell your therapist that and they figure something else out. You don't just, oh, well, that one didn't work, so fuck pills forever. Like, no, there, there are other combinations you can take. If you're supposed to be taking pills for medical, like, mental health issues, take them. I cannot stress that enough. Take them. And if they're not working for whatever reason, talk to your doctor about it. They'll figure something else out. Because you started taking those pills in the first place for a reason. And it is really easy to forget that reason. Oh, yeah, I'm happy. Yes, you're happy. You're happy because you're manic. That's not happiness. That's the chemicals in your brain going crazy. And it's going to make you really fucking sad, too, if you're a manic depressive type or you're bipolar or whatever. Like, there are huge negatives. And, you know, there are other ways to fix this problem of this dullness that you feel when you're on this medication. It is lowering your emotional sensations. But that's because the problem you have is your emotional sensations are out of control. So please, people, Take your fucking medication. I cannot stress that enough. Again, like I said previously, yes, he's woken up to the idea that his life fucking sucks and that he's living in a fucking pigsty full of dead body parts and shit on the floor. And he's, and he's and he's a hoarder and dog shit. And he's a hoarder and there's blood everywhere. Yeah, and, I don't But it's it... not the pills that are making the house that way. The house is that way whether he takes the pills or not. <laughs> I don't understand... Is it that he's a hoarder? Because they never really show us. Yeah. He just he just has boxes and bags of things. Yeah. And you never see what it is. Yeah, no, but I think there's there's but um, we also, collected newspapers and stuff too. Right, like, but we also never see him collecting things. We never see him bringing things into the home. So it's Yeah, we also never see him taking his pills longer than one night. I think he's doing this throughout, but he doesn't think about it. If it was a thing he thought about, we would see it. But he doesn't think about it. It's just a thing that happens, and not taking the pills makes him able to ignore it. But yeah, so when he does take his pills, we also get some memory flashbacks. Yes. We learn about his upbringing, that his mother was also, we knew this, uh, his mother also was schizophrenic and heard voices. 
What we didn't know was that his father was abusive because of it. Mm-hmm. There's this weird memory of him, like, telling himself that this sock puppet is real and his father telling him it's not real. Yeah. And so obviously he's been dealing with the same shit his entire life. Then we learn that his mother saw that the police were coming to take her away and decided to kill herself, but couldn't do it. So instead made her like nine-year-old son finish the job, which is why he has this obsession with ending people's suffering. Yes. That's what he had to do for his mother. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that's why he went to an asylum and now he's out and has a court-appointed therapist. Yeah. But yeah, we also see how disgusting his home is. And so he decides to just say, fuck it, and gets rid of the pills. Which He flushes every single one of them. Which is also a problem for me because that makes me dislike him more Mm -hmm. because he's making a conscious choice at that point. Yep. Again, I think he is a lot more likable than Peter Lowe was in Vampire's Kiss, who there was never any intention of making him likable. There is absolutely an intention of making Jerry likable. Yeah. But I mean, in they several movies- They keep trying movies, to make me like him, and I can't. I think the point of this is that you are not your mental illness. I think that's the point. That you can like Jerry, and you can think he's a good person, and still think that the way he responds to his mental illness is not good. I think that's kind of the underlying message of this, is- Love the person, not the mental disorder. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I hate the illness. Love from, the sinner, not the sin? No, from Psycho. I don't hate her. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I hate the illness. Yeah. You understand? I don't hate her. I hate what she's become. I hate the illness. But yeah, so she wants a friend. And he knows, he knows that things are different too when he's when he's taking the pills because when he's talking to her, he's like, yeah, you smelled really bad, but now you smell like hair product or whatever. And yeah, it's like, you she's know. she's like, they made me look like a jack-o'-lantern. Yes. Tally-ho, Jerry. Fiona, you're back. Right, and jolly well high time. Bloody blue man, right? It's jolly well high time. You look smashing. Those bleeding pills are rubbish. I super hate those pills. I only took them because you told me to. Beastly drugs. They made me look like a sodden jack-o'-lantern. You know what? And you're stinky too. But now you smell like... You smell... Like baby shampoo. You're beautiful. Thanks, Jerry. What a fab cracking day to come back. Perfect day. And I'm making honey nut crunchies. It's 2% milk. Hip hip hooray! How's the cereal, chummy chum? Mmm, delicious. Scrummy. Mm. God save the queen. Hey, Jerry. Mm hmm. Jerry. Can you get me a friend? A friend? It's so lonely in the fridge. And she desperately wants a friend. She says Lisa from accounting. And she's like, and he's like, I don't know. And she's like, I love you. And he's like, I love you too so much. And like he feeds her and like she bites him and yeah, laughs. And they have this cute relationship. But he is having this relationship head. with, yeah. So, I mean, basically it's taking a thing that real serial killers and things like that would do. And turns it, turns the perspective around on you. And again, I don't think the objective of this movie is to make you comfortable with it. 
So he does end up asking Anna Kendrick out. It does not go the way he thought it would go. They end up having a fantastic time. They go to dinner. They talk about their cats and yes. how cats run your lives. Just like if you really do have a cat, you you get you completely understand their conversation on Anna Kendrick's level. So here's the thing. But we also understand what he means. <laughs> I don't literally hear Lavinia's voice or think it's actually her, but I have created a persona for her that is so vivid that I can and do carry on whole conversations with myself. I will freely admit that. And I think lots of other people are willing to do that too. And just as Anna Kendrick is. And that's what she assumes he he's means. talking about. But no. He's Sometimes like, I talk to my animals. Yes. So do I. <laughs> Sometimes they talk back. I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they talk to my pets. A lot of the time. No, me too. All of the time. <laughs> and they sometimes talk to me, sometimes. I get that. <laughs> no, he means they totally talk back. <laughs> they do have a, have a really good time on before they go home. Like, she's like, do you want to go back to my place? And he's like, well, no, actually, I want to take you somewhere else. No, he does say they're going to go back to his, right. to her place. But and on the he way. Just he just turns and doesn't bother. He's like, oh, it's a surprise. I want to take you somewhere else, actually. And yes. he's taking her. And he's driving her down these, like, dirt roads with the trees brushing by. And she is very uncomfortable, as she fucking should be. But his objective here is not to harm her in any way. He, this is actually completely innocent. No, it's not. We'll talk about why in a minute. He takes her to the house where he grew up. Yes. And. He talks about how he would be made fun of when he was a kid, how he was born in Berlin and he moved here when he was really young and seven. his mother was, was, was very German and, and kids would call him names like Gesundheit and Farfignugen and the ultimate crying machine, which is hilarious. That's really funny. And then Anna Kendrick says kids can be so cruel. And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny and creepy at the same time and I think it does a really good job throughout the movie of putting you in an uncomfortable position which induces laughter so he has memories of his mother inside the house and he starts crying and she holds him and she's like we should leave and he goes okay as they're leaving he puts the knife down. I didn't see that. You didn't see that? No. Yeah. He was going to kill her. That was another thing that, that, oh yeah, right. Okay. No, that makes total sense because Mr. Whiskers is constantly after him of like, no, it's, it's an impulse that you have and you should embrace it. You should go out and enjoy that again. Feel that, that pleasure again, like you did with Fiona. And he asks him point blank, why did you even have your knife in your car like that? Why did you even have that knife on you if you weren't intending on killing her? It's like, well, that's a, actually a really good point. So, yeah, I think there is some sort of thing that he doesn't sense or is consciously aware of that he has this impulse to kill, even though he doesn't want to do it. That's interesting. I didn't even notice that. So anyway. They go home and have sex at her house. Yes. And she makes him breakfast. That was a wonderful night. I'm so glad you asked me out. You're so mysterious. And he says, yeah, 
This night turned out differently than I thought it would. Uh-huh. And I don't feel alone Right. Anymore. Okay, I remember that now. It's been a couple days. I do remember that happening, yes. But then she's like, we should probably get going. And he's like, oh, shit, work. I have, yeah. to, I have to go home and feed the pets. And then she's like, okay, come by my desk and we'll make out in the copy room later. It's really cute. And he gets home and the cat has shit on the couch. Couch, yes. And he's like, that's what happens when there's no fucking food. <laughs> <laughs> And meanwhile, the head is screaming, get me a friend, get me a friend. And he goes to work and they make out in the copy room and everything's great. And Allison totally catches them and they gossip about it. Oh, my God. You know, yeah. But Anna Kendrick decides, I'm going to surprise him and go to his house with a cake. So she convinces Allison from HR to get him his address, to get her his address. Before she comes over, though, we get a scene with him and his dog and his cat. And he's explaining, I don't want to be a killer. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. And he's like, but the cat makes me do bad things. And the cat's just like, dude, everything I say is actually you. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, Bosco, is that true? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) He's just like, ah, shit. (laughs) Because in reality, it's like, no, I just want to blame the cat. No, it's really you. And you know that. And that's the other thing. I don't think schizophrenics really are aware that it really is just them. Well, I think this is the combat in his mind between how real it feels and how real it is to him and everyone in a position of authority telling him that it's not. I do love that when the cat says, everything I say is really you, he goes, I kind of suspected that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is him having that conversation in his mind. Is this real or isn't it? But it's playing out between the two personalities he has. Yeah. But then Anne Kendrick comes over and he locks himself out of his own house. So he's like, don't worry about it. I'll get through the skylight. Thanks for the cake. Bye. And she's just like, no, I'm going to go in. No, well, not because, like, I'm going to go in, but, like, you hear banging around upstairs, and she's like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. She's like, I'm here. I can pick the lock. It'll just be easier, and you won't have to go in through the skylight. And so she pulls out a bobby pin, and she picks the lock, and she goes inside, and Bosco attacks her. So at first, she doesn't notice anything. Yes, and she puts him in the back room, and then she turns around and sees everything. The blood, the bits of the people. The, Everything the we described before. Yeah. yeah. So he shows up and this scene is, I think, the most terrifying scene in the entire movie. Mr. Whiskers is telling him to kill Lisa. And Lisa knows what's going on. This is Anna Kendrick's character. Well, at this point, we've kind of seen that it's not just the voices are in his head. He's saying them out loud. Yeah, yeah. No, which I didn't realize. No, yeah, this is what I'm saying. We get a little perspective here because there's another person in the room during these conversations. Even though he's not taking his pills, we still see the objective reality because Lisa is there and she gets to be our perspective. And she is terrified. And he's upset because he he now has to kill her. The cat is telling her to kill him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. To kill her. But, and but, she's like... And the cat's right from his perspective. And he doesn't want to. And he's very upset. And the fact that he's apologizing and he's he's like crying and he's really upset and he's carrying on this conversation with his cat. But again, we're seeing the objective perspective. So we just get shots of the cat and it's just a cat staring at him. And the the place is a mess. And he is 
like coming at her, this looming presence, and he's going to kill her, and she is terrified, and he's crying because he doesn't want to do it. And it is frightening. It is chilling. It is very effective. And he's shouting, like, you know, she's the best thing that ever happened to me, and she's just like, I'll just leave. I won't say anything, I promise. I'll just go. And she tries to leave, and he throws her. And again, look, I think he was going to kill her at this point, but this time, again, he throws her. Yeah. She hits her neck. So again, one little step. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the full-fledged thing. He accidentally hurts her so bad that he needs to put her out of her misery. The next one isn't going to be quite so clean because the first one is somebody you don't really like. He thinks it's an accident and needs to put her out of her misery. The next one is somebody you do like, and he definitely likes. And an accident happens, an accident in quotes happens, and then he needs to put her out of her misery. But now there's people keep going missing at work. Yeah. So meanwhile... Allison and the other guys who were a part of the planning committee because we know them as characters yeah, uh-huh. are talking about like he's so weird. Have you heard the rumors? Both these women have gone missing. Yeah, and they find out the reality of what happened to him when he was a kid by finding it on the internet. Yeah, and Allison shows up at his door and skip all the pretense. She's just dead now. He just kills her. It's like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> he just kills her. So now it's get, the threshold for murder is getting lower and lower and lower. And this is when Bosco says, you know how last week I told you you were a good boy? <laughs> Changed my opinion. <laughs> You're evil now. Yeah, you think I'm evil? Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're a cat now. <laughs> uh-huh. Hi, Jerry. Yeah? You remember last week when, uh, when, you, when you said there was an invisible line that separates good from evil and you thought you'd cross it and I said, no, 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 no. You're a good boy. Yeah, I remember. So what? I've changed my opinion. So you think I'm evil, Bosco? I'm certain of it. And then he's in crisis mode. He has all three of these heads in the fridge, and they all love him, and they're all kind to him. And he goes to his therapist, and he's like, ah, this is really bad. And he finally admits when she says, well, it's not like anybody, it's not like you've murdered anybody. And he's like, well, it kind of is a little like that. Actually, it's like that three times. (laughs) And she's freaking out, and he has to stop her from making a phone call, so he ends up kidnapping her and taking her out to the middle of a field so he can have a real therapy session without the danger of her alerting anybody. Meanwhile, though, these two men from work stop by his house and end up breaking in. And seeing all this shit, dude comes out and he throws up, and they go and get the cops. And it should have taken a lot less time than it does. Yes, because the cops don't show up until late at night. When he's already back, he's brought his therapist. They had a breakthrough while they were out there in the middle of the field. And he's like, wow, that's like years of therapy all in one go. And the cops show up, and he needs to get out of there. When they do, the dog gets out. The cat gets out. He's trying to escape. He escapes through, like, the ventilation area, and he hits a gas line, which ends up blowing the whole building up. We didn't say. He lives above a bowling alley, and the whole building just explodes. The cat and the dog get out okay, so you don't need to worry about them. The therapist gets out okay because the police show up in time, but... Some of the police die, I'm yeah, sure. Yes, some, some do die. He's dying, 
And the girls are calling to him. Yeah, he's dying down in like the basement area or something like that. The whole place is exploded and they're calling out to him. And then we cut to like the age of Aquarius moment for this movie. Just like in 40 year old virgin when there's like, and they're like, how do we end this movie? Well, let's just do age of Aquarius. And they do that for this. And it's just him happy and singing the happy dance song or whatever it is. Sing a happy song, which is the song that they conga to and dance to in the beginning of the movie. And they just perform that. And it's everyone's involved with that. Yeah. Jesus shows up showing him that he's okay and everything's good. And, this happens over the credits. The movie is over. Yeah. Lightning round. Got lots of things. <laughs> I guess that ending is to distract from the bleak reality of what actually happened. It's like, well, yes, it's like, I mean, I mentioned before, very bad things. I'm not a fan of it, but it's a dark comedy. And it ends with people who are bad getting punished, but in a funny way. You know, when hey, she... that movie is hysterical. The ending is a drag, but the rest of it is so funny. See, I think it can be funny, but there's all of this, like, tension and anxiety throughout the whole entire fucking thing. I don't feel good at any point. I respond to very bad things the same way you respond to this movie. Mm. I thought this movie was a lot funnier, though. I think this movie is kind of funny. If Oh, I thought it was hilarious. If it weren't for Ryan Reynolds... I would have hated every second. I think Ryan Reynolds definitely elevates the movie. He definitely sold Absolutely. The movie. And like I said earlier, this is probably the best acting you'll see him in in anything I've seen. Because I don't think he's acting in any of the other roles he's in. Blade Trinity, X-Men Origins Wolverine, Deadpool, Van Wilder. I thought you loved Deadpool. Waiting. I love all of them, but I don't think he's acting. Okay, I don't love X-Men Origins Wolverine. That movie is garbage. But... I love Ryan Reynolds when he's playing, you know, like Ryan a Reynolds. jerk version. That's all it is. It's just a jerk version of himself. Because <laughs> by all accounts, he's like a super nice guy. He's so cute. Yeah, he is. <laughs> so, but this is like, this is like really fucking acting for him. And the range is incredible. And I fucking love him in this. But yes, he elevates this. I can't imagine what this movie would have been like in anyone else's hands. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Satan's pretty cool. I don't know. Satan's pretty cool. Do you have any other lightning round stuff to talk about? I have lots of things. Okay, I have nothing. At one point, the cat's being really nice to him because he wants food. And he's like, I can't get it for myself, Jerry. I don't have thumbs. Cat food's in the kitchen, Jerry, and I can't open the can. I don't have thumbs. This is funny to us. <laughs> this literally happens in our households. Kelsey will ask Lavinia to do something, and then Lavinia will respond that she can't because she doesn't have thumbs. <laughs> so did that hit a little close to home? Very close to home. <laughs> that really hits me where I live. Before he brings up the angels conversation with her, I think the reason he does is because he looks over at her, and she's, in his mind, she's an angel. Yeah. I don't get why they did that. That's just how she... No, no, no. Why is it that the only time we ever saw, aside from the animals' mouths moving, uh-huh. the only cartoony things we ever saw was once when she was a, an angel and once when she had butterflies? Yeah. 
I feel like, why didn't they make that more of a thing? Why is it only twice? You know? Like, why doesn't he see more of that shit? I guess they didn't want to make it an animated feature. Right. But if you're going to use it, you'd think that you'd use it more than twice. Eh. It just seems kind of random when you do it that way. Yeah, well, it's in moments of extreme emotion, right? One way or the other. The happiest he's ever been. So, we kind of glossed over the conversation, the last one that he has with his therapist. Yes. And there are a couple of things I just want to say quickly. I do love that when he says it's kind of like that times three, she says, what are you saying? And he's like, I feel terrible about it. (laughs) I'm disappointed. But hey, it's not like he killed someone. Um. What, Jerry? It uh, it is kind of like that. I'm kind of like that times three. What are you saying, Jerry? Three three people who weren't alive anymore because of me. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I feel terrible about it. And I, I really need your help right now. I do like that when he's like, you know, why do I hear voices? And her response is, lots of people have those. Uh They just choose to ignore them, unlike you. Yeah. I mean, it's the same conversation that he has in Well, in a different extent. She she says it's not the same thing, but it's similar. Now, why do I hear voices? Oh, a lot of people hear voices. Or thoughts they can't stop. A lot of people? Yeah. It might be a voice telling them they're worthless or stupid, or or it could tell them to indulge every desire. Uh, Drink that drink, take that drug, follow every sexual impulse, or it could be a cynical voice telling them nothing matters, that their efforts are insignificant. You hear stuff like that? Yeah, I have thoughts. Not exactly the same as you, but similar. They tell me that I'm... Fat or psychotherapy is is not a worthwhile exercise that that is not real, that that I should have aimed higher than a government job, that my potential is being squandered, that I'm unworthy of love. But none of that's true. So what do you do about it? Well, I can't shut them off entirely. Nor would I want to, but I can't argue against them. Just because you have thoughts doesn't mean you have to act on them. It's the same thing in Fight Club. People have conversations with themselves every day. They just don't have the courage to run with it like you do. This is crazy. People do it every day. They talk to themselves. They see themselves as they'd like to be. They don't have the courage you have to just run with it. But I think the ultimate message is that this entire movie is trying to say, and this is, she she says, the therapist says this out loud, being alone is the root of all suffering, but none of us are actually alone. Being alone in the world is the root of all suffering. But Jerry, you're not alone. Which I think is kind of exactly what Kill Me Please was saying. Being alone is the root of all suffering, and none of us realize that none of us are alone. Right. So what the real thing is, is that we don't know how to communicate with each other. Right. 
Absolutely. Which is funny when you think about the fact that this is called The Voices. Yeah. Right? So it kind of brings up this kind of huge philosophical point. If we could just learn to all communicate our thoughts and feelings, perhaps the horrors of this world Mm -hmm. wouldn't exist. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think this conversation is is probably I I'm gonna play this out on my in front of you, and you can correct me where I where I get things wrong. But I I think this has made me understand what I don't like about a very bad things. In very bad things, the bad things are the things you're supposed to be laughing at. In this, it's not that way. You're supposed to laugh at the fact that the guy runs down his brother and kills him. That's supposed to be funny. But it is in context. You're making it sound horrible. But the context (laughs) is that it's people who can't seem to get along and a guy who's stressing out so much he's going to burst and everyone trying to shut down what it is that he feels and his brother who keeps being shoved aside and nobody's listening to him either. It's all bad, tragic, fucked up stuff. And the movie's like, laugh at this. I'm like, no, I don't want to laugh at that. This movie makes those things horrifying and wants you to laugh at all the other stuff, all the cleaning up the bodies, all the storing the bodies, all of the, you know, but when he is like going to kill Anna Kendrick, terrifying. You are not supposed to be laughing. Right, but I guess I'm a little offended because you're making me sound like I'm crazy for finding this stuff funny. It's a comedy. Obviously, it's just asking you to laugh at different things. I'm just saying I don't respond as positively to that. Oh, yeah, great. Bad things happen to bad people. But it's like good-intentioned bad people who are driven to do these things. And it's just like it's a negative experience all throughout. But I find it hysterical. And it's fine. It's just not my cup of tea. But you think the Coen Brothers movies are funny? And I feel like that's the same type of humor. I disagree. My favorite Coen Brothers movie. Oh, geez. What it is should my... be Fargo. It's what it should be. It's not. <laughs> I think Fargo kind of dips into the very bad things territory. Which is why I love it. Which is, you know, like fucking William H. Macy, who's just a dude who makes bad decisions, stressing out for the rest of his life until he gets caught. And what's his face getting thrown into a wood chipper? And it's like, these are all like things they're having you laugh at the things that make people miserable, which I get why that's funny. But I think it's much funnier in like a big Lebowski, right? Where he gets all of Donnie's ashes on his face. (laughs) Donnie dying is not the funny part. It's the stuff around it that's funny. Or... Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, which is another one of those movies that you don't like, and I really, really do. I love Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou. I think it's hilarious. And, you know, George Clooney's character is arrogant, and he gets, you know, knocked out by John Goodman's character when he doesn't understand that John Goodman's character is villainous. And it's like, wait, what's going on here? Why'd you hit my friend there? Like, that's funny to me. But all the other shit, like laughing at people's misery is not funny to me. And you're a bad person for thinking that's funny. I guess I'm a horrible person. (laughs)
I still love you, though. So what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? 70. 75. The Voices gives Ryan Reynolds an opportunity to deliver a not highlight reel performance and offers an off-kilter treat for fans of black comedies. Metacritic of 58. So still kind of a big gap. And I think it's because this is emblematic of you and I like not agreeing on these movies this week is there's a big gap between whether or not people liked it and what they would rate it. This one not quite as big as Vampire's Kiss. Do you think 75 is overrated or underrated? Overrated. Yeah, I figured. What would you give it? I will give it a 67. Wow. That's a lot higher than I thought you were going to give it. Two thirds. It's quite funny. And yeah. It's quite well done. But I didn't laugh out loud because I, it, it's so unpleasant. It is just filled with unpleasant things. I think it fills me with, like, the overarching feeling of, of, a, of a very bad thing is, is anxiety. The overarching feeling of this is perseverance. <laughs> Maybe that's the core of why I like this, is that he is trying, and he is trying to stay happy and positive the entire time. And it kind of encourages you to do the same thing. And it's not quite as cringy as Vampire's Kiss is with its, like, abuse of women. Yes, that's a theme of this, but it's – and especially in those moments with Anna Kendrick when it really, really shines through. But that's when it's intended to be terrifying. In Vampire's Kiss – He's just an asshole? He's just an asshole, yes. So I would give this a 75. I think 75 is right on the money. I'm surprised that we didn't differ as much as I thought we were. Well, talking about it really reminded me of a lot of things that I did enjoy about it. Yeah. It's, I was going to give it a much lower. I was thinking I was going to give it around like 55. Uh-huh. Yeah, it went up a lot because of the conversation that we just had. It's just, if it weren't for Ryan Reynolds, I would have, I would have hated this movie. I can understand that. Yeah. All right, that is this week's episode with 1988's Vampire's Kiss and 2004's The Voices. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is another recommendation week. It is also a double feature. Who recommended this one, Kelsey? This one comes to us from Lou. Lou? You're finally getting your episode. Yes. We are watching... Ringu and the Ring. Ringu and the Ring. according to Chris, it should just be Ring. Because Ringu is just the way they pronounce it. Yeah, because they don't have a they don't have a, a like a glottal stop like in in Japanese. So they need to use one of the sounds that they have that begins with a G. Almost every sound in the Japanese language is consonant vowel. Almost every sound they have. So they they G U Gu. That's the closest thing they have to just a G. So when they say ring, they say Ringu. Even so you will, you will see posters that just say Ring, the terrifying original, or something like that. Others, like the DVD copy I have, say Ringu. Because when it's advertised in Japanese, they use the katakana, which is how they represent, among other things, it's how they represent words borrowed from other cultures and other languages. And so it's, it's three symbols. It's ri, it's n, which is one of the few sounds that they have that doesn't include a vowel sound. It's just an N. So it's R-I, 
N is the second symbol, and then GU is the third symbol. So literally translated, it's Ringu. But yes, they're just trying to say ring. So it's the ring. We're gonna. It's a double feature of the ring, and it's just happens to be on either side. It's what, like 98 in 2002 or 99 in 2002, something like that. It's really, really close to each other, but they just so happen to fall on either side of our 20-year cutoff. So we're going to do the two of these. Hooray! Are we ever going to do the grudge? I'm sure it's on the list, right? I can add it, but and, it won't, and, uh, we won't see it for a very long right. time. And Juwan the Grudge, which is the original Japanese version. There was a time when we just kept remaking Japanese horror movies. <laughs> I love the ring and to Lou, who we should probably be clear is a personal friend of ours. He's going to be in our wedding. He thinks that the ring, the American version is one of the best American horror movies of all time. If not the best, I will tell you a high school story about that movie. When we get to that. Okay. (laughs) Based on the look on your face, it sounds like it's not good. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked the ring when it came out. And then I got the original, and I like that too. So I'm excited to have an excuse to watch them both. I love the style, that early 2000s, late 90s style of of horror filmmaking. So I'm excited for this one. So thank you, Lou, for forcing us to talk about this double feature. Until then, you can always find us on podcemetery.com, where you can browse a list of all of our episodes and movies. Follow us on Twitter, at podcemetery. This week, I'll be posting a lot about Vampire's Kiss and all the memes that it has and should have. So don't forget to follow us there. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. Five-star written reviews are the best help you can give us there. Share us with your friends, because that's even better. And listen in the GD first place, because that's the best. Thank you all so much. We love each and every one of you. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Wish I could help you, but uh, I'm just a fish. To the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape More loose and fangs But are picking up bones Spirits moaning Among the tombstones <coughs> This is going to be a really hard episode <coughs> This is going to be a really hard episode to edit Because that is 1988's Vampire's Kiss Moving on to 2014's The Voices Written by Michael R. Perry. Oh, sorry. Shit. For a fluffy lady. Yeah. I am dying because the sun has slowly been creeping down over my back. And, oh, Jesus, I'm swimming in sweat here. But he ends up inviting her out to <laughs> this Chinese restaurant. Shishin. Is it Shishin? Shishan, but we're not there. Shishan. We're not there yet. Hold on. Where are we? They haven't gone out for drinks yet. That's when he asks her. Okay. <laughs> you say I'm here when I want, want to. to. What's her name? Allison. Is it Allison? Allison. So, so 
Fiona decides to leave for everybody. No. No, there are four angels who are named in the Bible. They are Raphael, Michael, and what's the third one? Michael. Fuck, I have, like, I know this one. I knew the answer when he was asking the question. Gabriel. Gabriel, thank you. Michael, Gabriel, and is it Raphael? Yeah, and (laughs) Raphael. Oh, I forgot about that moment. Yeah, she should be up. God, that's so good. I'm a bit bummed. No, duh, she stood you up. I'm sure there's a reason. I sure hope so. Wish I could help you, Jerry. Uh, but I'm just a fish. <laughs> oh, there's the moment when everyone's screaming. We didn't talk about either. And the doctor screams, and then Fiona's head screams, and then Mr. Whiskers screams. He's like, Mr. Whiskers, Dr. Ward, Fiona. <laughs> 